Most likely all of you have heard the story of the the Loch Ness Monster in Scotland. Tonight we're going to talk about that, but also some of maybe the less known lake monsters here in the United States. Uh, Actually, there's quite a host, not only in the United States, but across the world. Canada and Japan seem to have quite the quite the fair share. And we're not talking about Godzilla, but still. <laughs> That's a sea monster. That's a sea monster. Stay tuned as we dive into more. From a child born into this world, we are taught what to believe. Close-minded, we become fearful to be deceived. Still, we desire to know what lies beyond that locked door. The art of the storyteller conjuring tales of legend and lore. History hidden, lost knowledge, things forgotten, and the unknown. These are the things that direct us and will set the tone. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway. Lake-dwelling entities are common in folklore. You know, the Selkies and the Kelpies and the whatnot from from ancient mythology. Uh, they usually appear similar to sea monsters of the time. Plesiosaurus seems yeah. to be type of uh, common. Uh, the, the most famous lake monster, we, we all have to be honest here, and we're going to talk about it. Uh, that would be the Loch Ness Monster. Absolutely. Everybody says the Loch Ness Monster. Now, accounts of lake monsters have changed throughout history. Old accounts usually chalked up lake monsters as being horse-like, with the, the Kelpie especially. Seahorses. As we proceed to modern day, our lake monsters changed and they became more dinosaur-like. Everybody kind of gives the plesiosaur-like description right. for Nessie. The many sightings of lake monsters are said to be misidentifications of existing or, or more mundane creatures. Giant eels, giant sturgeon. Which you've ever seen a sturgeon, and I think we've talked about them on our show before. They're, they're kind of scary. Kind of a monstrous looking thing. Uh, the Greenland shark, which is a very uncommon shark, you know, lives in the cold northern waters. And the things can live forever. I think they live like 300 years or something like that. And also, I found a lot of references um, of like bull sharks and stuff, you know, yeah. which could be the, gi- the giant catfish. Oh, yes. Oh, no, we've talked about that. Our classic. My favorite, uh, literally, this is almost an exact quote. Three or four otters swimming in a line. I read that last night, <laughs> yes. Say so that they, they, they have a very serpentine look to them. And, and people Those have pesky literally. otters. Well, they say, like, people have literally claimed to have seen a sea monster, and then they go out and it's just a bunch of otters swimming in a line. I thought it was kind of weird. Synchronized swimming. Now, there are probably over 100 commonly reported lake monsters. This is kind of an incomplete list, but I just wanted to touch on some of the more well known ones. And, like we say on most of our podcasts, where we have some. Foreign names. We're probably going to butcher a couple of these. You have Nessie from Loch Ness and Morag from Loch Marar in Scotland. You have the Ligerflot Worm in Iceland. I hope I got that one right. Ogopogo, Champ, Mefrer, and Bessie in Canada and U.S. waters. I think in some cases those are big bodies of water that cross the border, so it's, they're kind of shared. Right. The Lariasaro in Italy. The Nahuelito in Argentina. The Moiso in Colombia, the Van Golu Canavari in Turkey, which I've seen some video of that one. It's it's kind of a compelling creature. The Incanyamba in South Africa, and then specific to America, you have Tahoe Tessie and Flathead Lake Monster in the United States. And then Eric, you found one that that I seem to have overlooked. What what was Peppy? Peppy. Peppy. So was we'll, from uh, Lake City, Minnesota. I think we'll we'll get to that in a minute. Now, of course, 
You're going to talk about lake monsters. You're going to talk about the granddaddy of them all. So I think we're going to start with Nessie. Loch Ness, Loch Ness in the Scottish Highlands. Nessie is commonly described as a large, long-necked with one or two humps. Now, you you delved into the history of Nessie. Being the historian, um, <laughs> I went back and I tried to find the earliest documented, and not saying this is it, but this is, this is as far back as I found. Sixth century, uh, monks had arrived in the area to build a monastery to spread Christianity. A man was sent in the water to fetch a boat that had drifted away that they'd pulled up on the shore. Uh, and when he did, a what was described in the, in the books written by the monks was a large creature that surfaced and beelined, headed directly for this, <laughs> this poor soul, standing in about waist-deep water. Now, in the story, again, you got to remember, especially during the 6th century, very few people could read or write. Yeah. But, but monks, I mean, that was part of their well, duty they, yeah, is to were, record the history. They were educated folks. The, I'll, I'll say the lead priest, it didn't give a name, but the, the main priest that was leading them quickly approached the water's edge, and they actually had a sketch of him holding, this was like Dungeons and Dragons type, holding a staff with a holy symbol <laughs> at the top. Turn Thou shalt not monster. pass, you know. <laughs> uh, but he commanded the beast to depart and leave the man alone. And drawing in the crosshair, he, he, he makes the symbol of a holy cross, and the monster attunes to him like almost like a serpent um, with a flute, uh, a king cobra. Yeah. And, I mean, takes the command and just slowly backs into the lake and lowers himself. Now, that's not a spell I've seen in Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> command lake monster. Command lake monster. Now, again, in the 11th century, there was a man crossing the lock in a small boat. Uh, he was recorded to have been attacked by some type of marine creature. However... The sketch resembles that of a bear. Well, remember now, I said early sightings. Lake monsters evolved over time. Mm -hmm. And that's why part of the argument, obviously, that there is no such thing as a lake monster is that they change and, and they evolve as we identify them. Well, this bear was two to three times the size of like what a grizzly bear would be. And it was described its eyes were sparked and emitting flames. Well, that's... Different. I'm not sure what breed of bear that is, but Lake Bear. Lake Bear. This is now believed to have been that of a simple large bear that was also crossing the lock and probably they startled each other. And the bear supposedly did attack <laughs> this small boat, uh, maybe thinking it was an easy prey. Uh, and then of course you had mentioned the Kelpie, the water horse, you know, in Legends and Lords said that uh, it is known to approach humans. Uh, especially young children. Well, I think the idea was to lure them away and yes. drown them. Uh, you know, basically it wanted the small child or innocent person to ride them. Yeah. And then it would use almost like a, a music or tone that would be luring uh, and then take the well, small children down to their murky a, depths and, a, and death. It was in the category of a fey creature. So Yes, I mean, definitely. Uh, now, Scottish history is riddled with these tales, especially of the children that fell victim to the Kelpie. And again, you know, like a lot of the grim fairy tales and, and stories of that time, possibly it was nothing more than parents trying to keep their children away from the waters. Because obviously there's there's danger. You, know, you could slip and fall. Kids drown well, and that, that kind that, of stuff. That's an, another thing that I saw, you know, doing my research is that probably a lot of lake monster tales are sort of remnants of nothing more than a safety message. You know, stay out of the water. Yeah, yeah. You know, if there's no one around. Kind of goes back to the yeah. Krampus thing that we talked about yeah. in another. But like, no, don't go in the water. There's a monster that'll get you. 
I mean, that'd keep me out of the water. Now, I know you've got a lot of the, the more recent sightings, but I'll kind of kick us off. In 1933, I believe it was, a, a new road was put in that literally followed right beside a large portion of the lock. Uh, now, obviously, when this happened, it seemed that the sightings increased by tenfold. And that makes sense. You've got a road that's right there nearby now. I want to say that uh, the fir- what's considered the first modern sighting happens actually in 1870 by a D. McKenzie. Okay. Uh, he claimed to have seen something wriggling and churning the water. Uh, and that's about all it was. It was just a blurb. But okay, and then and then I bump up to 1933, where I have a sighting by Aldi McKay and uh, Londoner George Spicer. Now I know two there, different sightings. There was one sighting, and the date escapes me, but I think it was an early one. Uh, it included footprints that appeared like a, a dinosaur or hippopotamus uh, footprint, a kind of a rounded foot with four toes. That kind of made some sensation. However, it was later proven that it was a fake. It was actually a ashtray made from an elephant's foot. <laughs> and they thought it was odd because every footprint was the left foot. There was only <laughs> the left foot that was kind of stamped into the mud. Horrible monster deformity. Yeah, bad, bad, bad. If you're going to try to fake this stuff, come on, people. Let's try a little harder. But I had a Mr. Oscar Spicer uh, had one sighting, and he described it as a dragon-like dinosaur. Uh, now, it crossed this road, the new road that I had mentioned that it had put in, and it left a flattened trail, like where it slid down off the bank, well, if you will, of the vegetation. And it was apparently carrying some sort of prey animal. Yes, a small, was it a calf or a deer or something? What I read just said an animal. Okay. So. Um, but it crossed directly in front of the vehicle uh, and then quickly went down into the water. It was described easily as 10 to 15 foot in length with a dark gray skin, which does seem to be a common reoccurrence, a dark gray black skin, with a four to six foot long neck, had fins that were strong enough and large enough it used it kind of as legs to propel itself across the ground. Well, slightly before that, th- that report was August 4th. Okay. So okay. Slightly before that, back in May, I have a report from an Aldi McKay who claimed to have seen an enormous beast with the body of a whale rolling in the water while she and her husband were driving by the lock on this road. Description here, and I'll quote, The creature disported itself, rolling and plunging for fully a minute, its body resembling that of a whale and the water cascading and churning like a simmering cauldron. It was very poetic yes. vision there. But yeah, you know, and, and similar with Spicer, you know, this is this, just this huge beast moving across the road. Sort of what skyrockets. Nessie into the modern era of monsters would be the sur- the famous surgeon's photograph of oh, 1934. Yes. The London gynecologist that took <laughs> yeah. the photos. Uh, it was published in the Daily Mail on April 21st, 1934. It's sort of that classic Nessie picture that almost everyone sees where it's got the head and the neck coming up out of the water. Yep. Uh, considered the first solid evidence. Considered the first solid evidence. And then... Later confirmed to be a hoax. Yeah, not so much so. Um, I don't remember the gentleman's name, but he actually had a vendetta against the Daily Mail and wanted to make them look foolish. Uh, Dr. Robert Kenneth Wilson. So, I believe it's it's a little piece of wood with just a little little head and neck thing kind of yeah. put on it. Designed, An early rubber ducky kind yeah, of thing. Designed <laughs> to just float, you know, so it's just above the water like that. They say if uh, you look at the original undoctored photograph, most people see a cropped version of the photograph. The uncropped version actually shows the shoreline and everything, and it's clear that this creature kind of this puts it object, in scale a bit. Yeah, this more. object's only like a foot and a half long. Yeah, yeah. So uh, again, just purely to embarrass the Daily Mail. 
if you look on online, you'll actually find a website from, I guess, the Scottish Tourism Board or something like that. But it's a whole website dedicated to the tourism of Loch Ness. Oh, yeah, and the Loch I mean, Ness monster. Let's let's face it. I mean, it, lake monsters, lake monsters add income and tourism to any well it, area. It's like we've said in, in our other stories. You know, the Hopkinsville goblins, the Mothman. Places that have a monster or something like that, they, they capitalize on it. Now, as we progress in time, and I didn't get into a lot of detail with a lot of these things, because, man, some of these are really oh, There's there's hundreds shady. of thousands. Hun- and- every, every year, there's sightings. Uh, sonar readings of the lake depict the, the strange creatures, strange shapes, people taking photographs, people taking video. And, man, so many people fake things with oh, yes. Loch Ness. But honestly, the early days of the story are way better than the modern tales. And, and people still go there all the time. Now, there's this new theory that Loch Ness is just, it's a giant eel that people are seeing. Mm-hmm. But man, that would have to be a big eel, you know? And I, I was talking with my wife, Sarah, about this. I, I don't know if anybody out there has aquariums and, you know, do the, the whole fish tank thing. But there is a, a freshwater fish that's at least advertised under the name of a dragon fish yeah. here in the United States. Cool um, very cool looking. It has kind of like some spine-like features that come up around the neck region. Well, and it's it's got like an eel-like shape. Eel-like with a shape, a little bit of fins. I have saw pictures uh, recently on the internet of some of those that literally like 20 or 30 people are holding one. It is so large. I mean, easily this thing is 20 or 30 foot. Now, I don't care who you are. If you see that swimming and, and it's fresh water, that, you know, that could really be a thing. Yeah. But, you know, as you said, a lot of the early sightings, I think, are are more interesting than some of the newer ones. Well, there hey. was one in January 5th, 1934, a motorcyclist uh, nearly collided with <laughs> a large creature. Wow. 1 a.m. in the morning. Can you imagine? Headlight, single headlight on your motorcycle, riding along this kind of creepy, dark, foggy <laughs> lake, and all of a sudden this, this crazy creature comes across, and he swerves, doesn't wreck the motorcycle, but you know, nearly loses control. Uh, it's a Mr. Arthur Grant. He's a veterinary student. Now, he describes it, interestingly, as a hybrid seal or a sea lion. Huh. Uh, again, kind of some differences. He... Parks his bike, lays his bike on the side. However, immediately, this guy's gutsy, pursues the creature. <laughs> I mean, ditch the bike. I want to know what I saw. He chases it down to the edge of the of the, the banks of the lake. And immediately, this thing just dives in. Big splash, churning water. Never got any photos, of course. Uh, but a, kind of an interesting, different, definitely creepy uh, yeah, that uh, tale. Not be something to stumble upon. Now, during World War II... Uh, British military ships were actually based in the Loch Ness. Really? Yes. PT boats were basically used just to ferry soldiers back and forth across the lake. Here we have military accounts documented in their journals on a couple of occasions, but one in particular where they describe uh, the ship striking a massive marine creature approximately the size of a whale. (laughs) Uh, enough that it obviously rocked the boat. Sounded like maybe you'd done some minor damage to it. So I thought that was interesting. One, I didn't realize the British military had a, you know, any type of uh, setup there, but obviously they did. And you, we mentioned the most popular photograph, literally the little, I call it the rubber ducky picture. Yeah. Though. But second, I think would have to be the October 1959 photo 
uh, with the Ericat Castle in the background, where you can see Nessie and then the castle taken at a large distance, so you're able to get some scale. A lot of research has been done on this. It shows two possible humps and leaving a very distinguished wake or a trail behind it. Black, dark in color, and in the picture, you know the tower is 46 feet in height, and so you can easily scale that, kind of lay it on the side. The creature is 30 to 40 foot in length, so that was kind of another one. And if you're doing image searches, that's probably going to be in the in the top two or three for sure. Yeah. Well, and there's always the underwater photo of the flipper that everybody seems to go back to. And there was a large flipper. Right? Uh, yeah. That was what's like five, six foot, they felt. Yeah. Uh, murky waters, of course, so it's still kind of sketchy. But very plesiosaurus type. Yeah. Which, I mean, if there's going to be a place where plesiosaurs remain... Let's pick one of the coldest places that we can find. <laughs> so Now, it's also been a long rumor that not only the lock, but many of these lakes originally were salt water. The water levels were higher. Possibly something got trapped, well, stranded. And the, and the potential for underwater caves that still connect to the ocean. Very much. So. Very much. Well, we talked about Nessie. Let's, let's go to one of the more famous North American lake monsters. I want to talk about Champ from Lake Champlain. I'm going to let you have this one. So uh, this is a body of water that's shared by New York, Vermont, and Quebec, Canada. So this is one of those U.S. Canadian lake monsters. Uh, there are over 300 known sightings of Champ over the years, and supposedly one of the first to spot the beast was f- French cartographer Samuel de Champlain, who then the the name the is name, derived. Yeah, namesake of the lake, uh, and he was the first uh, supposedly spotted the beast in 1609. And we'll jump up a few years to 1883, a sheriff, Nathan H. Mooney, claimed to have seen a water serpent about 110 yards from the shore. Said he could clearly see round white spots inside of its mouth, and said the creature was probably 25 to 30 feet in length. In 1887, I do like this, you'll you'll enjoy this, <laughs> P.T. Barnum offered a reward. Oh, yeah. For anyone that could bring him the monster. I don't think he ever had to pay out for that one. I don't think he had to. I, I don't see, he, off, he often fished no, no pun intended <laughs> for those type creatures to add to. PT Barnum uh, does pop up in a lot of uh, a lot of stories that we cover. Yeah, it yeah. seems like. Now there was a video taken in 2005 by fisherman Dick Affelter and his stepson Pete Bedette. And the images show what may be the head or neck of a plesiosaur-like animal, or possibly a fish or some sort of eel. It's mm. it's very like it's not. High quality video. Right. I, I didn't personally find it, so I don't know exactly what it shows. Now, FBI forensic analysis does say that it appears to be authentic and unmanipulated, so it's not photoshopped or any anything like that. Just a photograph and haste that's so, not super clear. We do have a unexpected sort of potential confirmation that there is something unexplained in Lake Champlain. Recordings made by the Fauna Communications Research Institute in 2003 as part of a Discovery Channel program did record sounds which were similar to that made by the beluga whale or a dolphin. Interesting. Now, Lake Champlain is not known to have either of those creatures as no a whales. native, you know, to those waters. So, there's something in the lake that makes uh, strange and unusual sounds that isn't supposed to be there. Now, we talked about cashing in on the popularity of your lake monsters. And who wouldn't? Port Henry, New York, has a giant model of Champ and holds Champ Day on the first Saturday of every August. Champ Day. Which would fall mighty close to my birthday, so. Ooh. 
possible birthday present <laughs> coming up. And in uh, Vermont's single minor league baseball team is the Vermont Lake Monsters. So Very nice. Very they, nice. They cashed in on that. Let's dive into uh, another lake monster, the Ogopogo. Ah, Okanagan Lake. Now, this is the British Columbia, Canada area. Uh, the lake itself is over 10,000 years old, and it was created, they believe, when uh, melting glaciers melted into the valley. Uh, it's near a city, I believe it's pronounced Kelowna. The lake is documented to be over 800 feet deep in some places, uh, 2.5 miles wide and something like 70 miles in length. So we're, we're talking a big, vast body of water. Yeah. Most of the sightings seem to be, again, a, a plesiosaurus type, uh, similar to the newer sightings of Loch Ness. If I could. Yeah. I'd like to uh, touch on some of the First Nations folklore here. Ah, yes. Uh, the First Nations folk, they called it the Nitaka which kind of in an evil supernatural entity with great power and ill intent this is the way they describe it. Uh, closest translation of the name is either water demon or water god, and supposedly it demanded live sacrifices from those that crossed the lake. I read that as well. Uh, one of the tales is of a visiting chief, Timbasket, and uh, he rejected the, the tradition of the sacrifice. He we ain't going to make no sacrifices. Upon entering the lake, Nitaka whipped up its tail uh, and, and created... You know, like a whirlpool kind of situation almost that sucked the canoe and its occupants to the bottom of the lake. So I was, also read they were crossing horses during that time frame. Oh, in 1855, okay. settler John McDougall claimed that he and his horses, that his horses were sucked into the water and, and nearly the canoe that he was in if he had not cut the line that, that was tied to the horses. So, yeah, I mean. Now, um, some of the horses at least did make it. They had bite and claw marks. Yeah. Noted. So, so this goes back, you know, a long time ago, and, and the native people of the area they believed clearly that there was something that resided in Lake Ogopogo. Now, along the lines that we've mentioned, that you know, if you have a lake monster, let's capitalize on it a little <laughs> bit. We've kind of pulled away from that into now more of uh, Ogopogo monsters. Now more of a peaceful, playful, inquisitive. You'll find little <laughs> statues and stuff in the parks, never attacking humans. So, you know, possibly it's been civilized a little bit through the years. I think we, we try to tone down our scary monsters. I, I did think it was odd that uh, this particular, the Ogopogo, is generally related to as a he, uh, a male uh, version. Uh, but the native people do believe, obviously, there has to be more than one. It would make, you know, sense to reproduce. Now, there's an area near Kelowna, the, the city, called Pebble Beach. And recently, a lot of uh, studies and photographs have been taken, and they found a strange orange salamander-like creature that seems to be exclusive uh, to this area. Huh. Now, to put it in perspective, the salamander is generally the size of most salamanders, you know, yeah, maybe 8 or 10 inches. But there are some people that believe that these are simply the babies <laughs> and there is a large uh, Ogopogo orange salamander-like creature. Is that like the little tiny octopuses that were found? And then, so yeah, they were the children of the Oklahoma octopus. Yes. Now they've taken some pictures, and they're they're showing what they believe are nest sites. Uh, which I, I'm just I'm going to be honest here, and I don't mean to offend anybody. It looked like a pile of washed-up logs and debris. <laughs> However, these small orange salamanders do seem to be around that. I would say probably because of shelter and, you know, use what you've got. Yeah. But many of the occurrences seem to show different sizes. They vary generally about 18 foot. However, some sightings have been as much as 80 foot 
in length uh, with flippers over two foot in length. I, I think modern accounts usually place it around 40 feet. Yeah. So. so a big wide variance. In the in the 80s, there was a local tourism agency that offered a bounty. I on, read that, on yeah. the, the, the beast. I think Greenpeace stepped in and said, well, if it is here, then it's clearly endangered and you yeah, can't, you can't, do you can't that. kill it. You can't do that. So you have to film it, not capture it. Now, I come across an interesting story of a gentleman. His name is Bill uh, Stichek, I believe is how you pronounce it. Now, he's a long-term native of the area, and he had his first sightings in uh, the late 1970s, and he is now a declared Ogopogo researcher. Um, Let's see, how do you get a job title like that? I think you just created it. I am what you call a team leader at my job. At well, no point am I a Bigfoot researcher or an Ogopogo expert. <laughs> but I'll beg to differ. You're a semi-professional podcast announcer. I, okay, we can add that. We could do that. We'll add that to our resume. <laughs> but uh, ironically, he was crossing uh, a bridge, and he, he pulled off his vehicle because he saw this, this large creature with multiple humps swimming alongside parallel the bridge in the late 1970s. And... Um, Ironically, he said, I just, I just stopped the car. I didn't even pull, totally pull off the bridge, and obviously other cars had to stop. He said, I was soon joined by as many as 40 people that witnessed this large creature kind of playfully in the water. Now, later on, uh, as he was a declared Ogopoga researcher, he decided he was going to make a short film documenting his first account. He'd asked his son to play the role of himself, because obviously he's, he's much older now. And um, they had about 14 people on the set, and they're, they're at the same bridge. Now, I'm going to guess that by coincidence, they managed to have another sighting you that day. You guessed it. <laughs> I, what's the chances? Literally splashing in the water, <laughs> almost the exact location, a dark-skinned creature with humps was playing, possibly feeding in the water. The 14 people, obviously, were there. They turned the cameras, which they were there filming, and caught this alleged real life event that uh, that's going on that's just dumb luck Uh, they should have went and bought a lottery ticket (laughs) now bill uh later took divers down in the lake this would be in early 2000s and did document and film some very like sheer drop-off bluffs uh under the water and many many caves there were some of these caves that had so much water flowing out of them at so much pressure that it would turn and turn the divers. There was no way they could even get in the cave. Wow. Uh, so, obviously, we've got some cavern systems going on. Well, and that could go back. We've talked about the, the native beliefs of those underwater caves yeah. and the creatures that can travel. Now, some might argue possibly the creature or creatures is traveling through the caves, but most all these creatures seem to have to surface for air, but you could also argue, well, there's air pockets. Well, I mean, what a sperm whale can dive for like 45 minutes or something like that. I mean, some of these creatures that are accustomed to diving, they they can hold their breath for a long time. Now, another thing that they did find, and again, this goes goes back to uh, Bill Stichek. He he documented this, and and you got to respect this. While he was underwater, he noticed that there's a there's a natural phenomenon where methane gas, especially at the bottom of some lakes, uh, causes that bubbling, churning water to, to come up. It's and actually, he recorded some of that. It's actually part of the explanation for uh, the Bermuda Triangle. It's been uh, on Mythbusters. They actually showed that the churning like that can cause boats to sink. So, so you know, kudos to him. He is showing at least some, you know, some other explanations. Um, you know, whether you believe or not, that that is obviously occurring. 
We're going to travel to Montana to Flathead Lake. All righty. And the imaginatively named Flathead Lake Monster. Very appropriate. <laughs> so the Flathead Lake Monster also exists in native legend. Uh, the first native tribe in that area was said to have lived on an island in the middle of the lake. And one winter, while crossing the ice, two girls saw some antlers, about two feet in length, protruding through the ice. Interesting. Now the girls decide they're going to cut these antlers out of the ice and they're going to take them because that's, that's a neat trophy. They want to keep cool. them. That's cool. So using sharp-edged rocks, they start chopping at the ice around the bottom of these antlers. Well, as they do, whatever whatever's attached to these antlers kind of wakes up. <laughs> uh, the ice splits open and the head of a great beast comes out of the, the ice. Now the girls, and here's where it takes a little bit of a turn for me, they use their powers to transform into a ball and a buckskin to escape the monster. Hmm. Now, half of their tribe was not so lucky, and that is uh, supposedly the reason why there are so few of the Kootenai people left. The the Flathead Lake monster just drowned them all by, ra- you know, in the One in the tragic lake. event or like yeah, over a period like, of time? No, just, or? just all at once. Oh, wow. Uh, but apparently the Kootenai people, they, they still lived around the lake. They revered the lake. They considered that their ancestral home. So Now, the, the first reported sighting, is in 1889 by Captain James C. Kerr of the Lake Steamboat U.S. Grant. He and his passengers, of which there were about 100 on the boat, saw what they described as an unusually large whale-like object in the water, with one passenger taking a shot at the creature and sending it diving for safety. Now, the locals have, again, named it imaginatively Flessy. Flessy. So, I like that. You know. Just take the first letter of your lake and slap it apply. onto Essie, I yep. guess. Stamp and apply. Uh, but they still have about one to two sightings per year in Flathead Lake. Now, what they describe nowadays is usually a large eel-shaped creature, round with a wavy body like that of a snake, 20 to 40 feet long, brownish to blue-black skin with grayish-black eyes. Some people also describe it as looking like a whale or even a giant sturgeon. So Here's the whale reference again. Well, and talking about sturgeon. Yeah. Again, that's a big old monstrous fish. Uh, one of the, the better stories, kind of like, like uh, Ogopogo there, uh, one story does relate that a three-year-old boy fell in the lake. Um, his mom found him standing on the shore, soaked head to tail, and uh, asked how he, uh, how'd you get out of the lake? And he said, well, the flathead monster lifted me up. So Aww. so maybe the monster's not all bad. Right. If you don't go chopping at his antlers, he, he'll help you out. It is interesting. You know, you see a lot of the medieval drawings of, of sea monsters, lake monsters, and some of them did have like deer or antelope yeah, type. Yeah. Uh, we seem to have got away from that in, in more modern technology. <laughs> interesting. Well, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, Pepe. And, uh, Pepe. Pepe. Pepe comes from Lake Pepin, appropriately named. Uh, lake City, Minnesota. Now, that happens to also be the birthplace of water skiing. I thought really? that was interesting. <laughs> Um, now Lake Pepin is crossed by the Mississippi river. Uh, it's been a very long time water route for hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, they have picked up very recently giant sonar readings, uh, still to this day, semi-common, uh, of something 30 to 40 foot in size. They believed it seems to be a common length for lake monsters, 30 yeah. to 40 feet. Um, they have had divers that have ran into something beneath the waves, uh, now, again, we have the native uh, uh, Indian tribes. They also, here's the reference of 40 foot again. They describe and document a giant 40 foot snake-like serpent. So again, kind of going back to this dragonfish or giant eel possibly. Many of the skiers have been brushed, touched, or toppled over as they're being pulled by a boat. 
Now, as, as someone who has swam in, in a lake with murky waters, I got to say, anything touching you? That's creepy. Uh, get get no, me out of here. I don't need that. Get me out of here now. Again, some of these uh, talk about a six to eight foot neck that can come up out of the water. And something unique we're seeing here is of it catching birds uh, <laughs> eating on the surface. So that, that's kind of weird. Now, this beast was terrifying to the natives to the point that the natives often stayed away from the lake. Only a very few of the bravest uh, people would go and fish the lake. They, <laughs> they, they seriously, I mean, they were fearful of their life. Again, we're going to go back to clergy and priests going back hundreds of years. They have documented the creature uh, back in the well, 18, early 1800s. And in their notations, they describe it larger than a rhino, but smaller than an elephant. That's pretty precise. But that's also sort of an open... I mean, forgive me, but that's sort of a strange measurement system to it, use. It <laughs> is. I mean, let's let's put some feed meters, yeah. something on there. I will say that in the 1800s, it seemed very common that most of the lakes in the Wisconsin and Minnesota area all seem to have their own lake monster. Now, for whatever reason, it seems that most all have either evacuated, died out, except for Peppy. Peppy seems to have made a stake <laughs> and, and staying there. Well, good for him. Huge splashes are very common in this lake, uh, you know, similar to the Loch Ness, the slender neck that I've talked about. A couple really interesting ones I want to share. A story of Adam Shimbino, I believe is the way you pronounce his name. This goes back to the 1970s. Teenager years, he and his sister and a group of friends, uh, young adults, were out uh, skiing uh, in the boat. Sis is being pulled back behind the boat. You know, the guys are up front. They're talking. And all of a sudden, they hear her screaming, uh, yelling. Uh, they they circled. She, she's toppled down into the water. She's splashing frantically. They, they turn the boat to come around and get her. And uh, she swears that something large, black, and smooth skin come up and touched her body like twice. Ugh. Uh, and she obviously wanted out of the water as, as he wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, who could blame her? To the point that she has been frightened. She has not returned to ski or even be on a boat in that lake today from the 1970s. Man. A pursuit of the peppy monster. There's a gentleman by the name of Larry Nielsen. Now, he owns a replica paddle uh, boat ship that actively searches for peppy, and he does tours uh, still to this day. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Paddle boat. You know, they, splashy, they sort splashy. Of churn the water and make lots of noise. It seemed like the best ship for that job. Probably not, probably not. But he supposedly came across some old manuscripts that originally sparked his interest uh, in the creature. He also offered a $50,000 reward for anyone who could help prove that the monster really existed. Now, he didn't ask to capture it or injure it. Just get me photos, get me something, definitive proof. The reward is still active today. Many uh, national television radio stations picked up the story when he started this. As far as Japan and China, Australia, and even Sweden, they, there's a big interest for this type of stuff, obviously even outside the United States. It is believed by him that possibly this is a bull shark sturgeon or giant catfish. Uh, one particular sighting is splashing out of the water 
like not the neck, but jumps up out of the water and catches a flying bird and then dives back down. That almost wow. sounds like a shark or, or uh, I mean, shark like shark like going with this $50,000 reward. There is a, what I'll call the close encounter. This is in the summer of 2008. So not too awfully far uh, ago, a group uh, decided they were going to claim this 50,000. Uh, so a group of teachers, local <laughs> scientists, and some scuba divers, they decided we're going to make a documentary film and we're going to prove that this, you know, works and we're going to pay for the film with the $50,000 reward that we're going to get. <laughs> hey, it sounds like a plan. That's some weird circular. <laughs> so they're diving in the murky waters here, the Mississippi, uh, where the, the lake, where it feeds into Lake Pepin. Sure enough, they picked up on this huge sonar reading again. Something they describe as about 50 foot in length, cone shaped, and at the widest point being six foot wide. So pretty, pretty precise. That's kind of weird though. In um, over 15 years of using this particular sonar reading, the group said they have never experienced anything in any of the local lakes uh, to this size. And it was only at a depth of about 25 foot deep in the water. Scuba diver immediately dove down in, hoping to get this now, footage. You're going to pardon the expression, but that takes some balls. That takes some I'm balls. I'm not doing that. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, there it is. Stop the yeah. boat. I'm diving in. I'm jumping in after that monster. So about 10 to 15 minutes into the dive, you know, he's getting comfortable and kind of getting familiar with, with the area. Obviously, it's only 25 foot deep water. He reaches the bottom pretty easily. And um, all of a sudden, he noticed there's no fish. The fish that were there 10, 15 minutes ago have vanished. He describes it as getting very quiet. There's no sounds at all. Well, like when you're out in the woods and yeah, the you woods feel you're quiet. being watched and you know, kind of that creepiness. I can't imagine how bad that'd be underwater. Then all of a sudden, he sees something in his peripheral vision that churns the mud in the water at the bottom to the point it spun him and flipped him over into the bottom of the lake. He immediately was trying to surface. His regulator, the breathing device, was knocked out of his mouth. He is so frightened. This thing comes back and hits him as he's trying to surface, frantically clawing his way to the top of the water, regulator hanging out, bubbles coming everywhere. And, of course, the boat's up here trying to, you know, they have radios and everything. Yeah. And they hear him trying to gurgle, scream and everything, so they're not sure what's going on. Immediately, they see the bubbles coming up, and he swims to the boat. Get me out! Get me out! So, you know, they're able to panically, you know, he's struggling. They, they pull him pull him in. The underwater camera was used, but due to the murky, muddy water, all they got was churned, muddy water. Yeah. So, unfortunately, nothing visible. You know. So, so, I hate to say, you know, smooth black skin seems to pop up a lot. Yep. And we've talked. Yep. Giant catfish. Giant catfish. Smooth black skin. This, this is the mention of bull sharks. Bull sharks have been fished out of this area. Uh, obviously, they shouldn't be native to that area. Well, a bull shark, and I might be wrong, I believe is fairly unique in the fact that it can survive in freshwater and saltwater. It has a, a an organ in its body, if you will. It may be the wrong phrasing, but it can actually regulate the amount of salt that's in its body. If it gets in high concentrations, you know. It can increase or decrease accordingly so that it can survive. All right. I mean, all the way up to at least St. Louis, they've been in the Mississippi River, so it's it's, it's plausible that anything connected to the Mississippi well, could have one. I believe it was in the 1990s, a six-foot bull shark was actually fished out of this exact area and this exact lake. So again, it, it adds some, some credence yeah. to it. 
Now, the last uh, expedition I came across was in 2012, uh, but again, there was no real results. However, as they were doing the documentary and filming for the 2012 research, they would stop and ask boats and fishermen that, that they passed. And it was ironic because, like they said, 90% plus of everyone they interviewed definitely believe there is something <laughs> that, that is there. And most of them had firsthand accounts. So, do you have a local lake and possibly a monster living nearby? Uh, you will not be alone. There's hundreds of They're these accounts. All over the world. Uh, everything from possible bull sharks, dragonfish, eels, shark-like, plesiosaur creatures. Things uh, with antlers. Things, things with, with horns, antlers. Hippopotamus, elephant-like, uh, you name it. Uh, anyhow, we hope that you've enjoyed yet another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway podcast. Thank you for your continued support. We'd like to give a shout-out to our first uh, paying sponsor, Raven's Loft. That's our family shop here located in uh, Lebanon, Missouri. It's your one-stop gaming, vintage toy, and collectible shop where you can find Star Wars, Transformers, G.I. Joe, comics, vinyl records, role-play gaming, Magic the Gathering, and so much more. We're located here at 223 West Commercial, downtown Lebanon, and also in our second location, uh, also here in Lebanon, at the Heartland Antique Mall. We'd like to thank Ravensloft for again supporting Nightmares on the Lost Highway. I want to take a time to thank the people that helped bring this all together. Uh, Alex Tudor, you can almost call him our producer at this point. Sarah Tudor, who also helps with some of the technical stuff. I want to take a moment to extend thanks to Eric for letting us use his space to record in, kind of our makeshift studio. I, in turn, would like to thank Bill for, one, putting up with me and uh, <laughs> using this camaraderie to do something we both very much love and enjoy doing, and thank Bill's family for allowing him to spend all the time to work and clean up our recordings and present them in what uh, you hear in the final uh, terms, uh, the final edition, if you will. Um, and I'd like to thank all of you for continuing to, to listen. I know we've got some loyal followers out there. We do this as a labor of love, but we're, we're happy that there are people that enjoy it, as, hopefully, as much as we do. Thank you very much.